Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Wednesday. It's September 6th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We have one week in in the college football season and in just one day, the NFL season gets itself underway. So plenty to dive into in regards to football. In addition to that, we'll uh, catch our breath with what's going on in the uh, NL and AL wildcard races. So a lot to get into, plus your phone calls 602-260-1060 at 10.30 and 11.15 today. 602-260-1060. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question as it is for the Arizona Cardinals. They have yet to announce who the starting quarterback is going to be for week one publicly that is uh so the question here is uh the cardinals have yet to announce their starting quarterback for week one on sunday does it matter and continuing to lead the way here overwhelmingly with no at 100 percent of the vote i understand that opinion i just thought it'd be an interesting question maybe not <laughs> an interesting question I think the world seems to think it's Joshua Dobbs is going to be the starting quarterback. You know, we had Howard Balzer on in the last hour, and he certainly believes that's the case. You know, the uh, network insiders on television, they both have uh, you know indicated that uh, they believe that Dobbs is going to be the starting quarterback. I think the thing that uh, I chuckled with Howard about in the last hour, and I think I even chuckled about it with you, Kayla, in the last last week. Is if you think Washington's defense, which was you know a top ten defense last year, which was actually pretty impressive considering all the bad spots that their offense put their defense in, and they were still top ten in most defensive stats last year, and they're going to be better this year most likely. Washington's defense, I don't think they really care who the Cardinals' starting quarterback is this week. Just you know, get your team to the stadium, and we're going to kick your ass. Basically, is what they're thinking. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that sentiment there from what the commanders are thinking. And also, I mean, um, there's not, I guess, it's not like um, a mobile quarterback versus a complete statue quarterback so that there's tons of different elements here. They're still going to be running a similar version of the same offense, right? So if you just kind of key in on understanding what certain formations mean in particular instances, you kind of have a base understanding of what the what the offense is trying to do. True, and uh, I think that's a really good thing about the mobility is that uh, you know, no, matter, no matter who the Cardinals quarterback is at any point this season, I think uh, we've seen enough uh, or not seen enough from the offensive line, depending on your viewpoint, is that whoever the quarterback is is going to be uh, running for his life on a regular basis, and especially this week against the front four of uh, the commanders, which is I don't think there's any doubt whether Chase Young plays or not. 
because uh, he hasn't played much in the last two years, and they've still been amongst the best pass rushing group in the league. Uh, that this this is a really you know, a dominant unit, whether Young's out there or not. Yes, uh, it's a definitely a formidable unit out there. And then the questions are, can the commanders offensively, one, not put themselves in the positions you were referring to, and how will they be able to attack the Cardinals' defense? That's true. I like Sam Howell, actually. I might be, uh, you know, I think a lot of people actually do, but they just don't have the, the guts to say it publicly. <laughs> but So we'll see. I know some of the fantasy world likes him, so... But if you like, if you watch North Carolina, not necessarily the last years at North Carolina when he was kind of running for his life, uh, but the, the next to last year he was there, which I guess would have been his sophomore season uh, at Carolina. They had NFL running backs, guys that are in the NFL now, including Javante Williams, who is in Denver. They had NFL level wide receivers. I mean, they had guys, and they were really good, and he was really good. And then when he was kind of doing it a little more by himself, he wasn't as good. But I remember watching him that year in college thinking that this guy's got some NFL potential. I don't think there's any question. He doesn't have the greatest arm strength of all time, but he's sure accurate. Uh, so you know, I'm curious to see how he does uh, this week and beyond for the commanders. And I've even seen a couple of uh, the network programs predicting the season and uh, have the community, you know, at least Jamie Erdahl on uh, – you know, the good morning football show, she has the commanders as a playoff team this year. And I don't think that's cr a crazy idea. We will answer that question in its entirety here around 1130 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060, which team most needs to solve their contract situation? The Chiefs with Chris Jones and the 49ers with Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa continues to be out in front at 71.4%. Chiefs with Chris Jones at 28.6%. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Yeah, these are obviously two. You know, you can make a case. I'm not sure was I don't know if Chris Jones was second in the uh, defensive player of the year voting last year, or uh, it might have been Parsons, right? But anyway, you can make a case. The you know, Bosa was the winner. I don't think there was any doubt about that by the end of the season that he should have been the defensive player of the year. But you can make a case that Chris Jones should have been second because Parsons had some MIA games uh, last year, especially in the second half of the year. Uh, but uh, you know, certainly. Two of the better two or three defensive players in the league, at least kind of front front seven type of guys. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, Jones, you know, not in camp and maybe aren't not we're beyond the camp thing. Not not in uh, the building, uh, as they now say, since it's the week of the game. I guess is the term. Uh, not in the building or maybe you know kind of. I wonder if he even still has a key card to get in the parking lot of the building. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, maybe they changed uh, all the the, uh, the key card key card locks or however that works. Uh, Bosa is not there again today. That's already been reported by several outlets this morning. Uh, so we'll see. And it seemed like yesterday that they were close uh, to doing something with Bosa. So maybe they will. Um, you know, remember was it T.J. Watt a couple years ago? Or was that last year when he had the holdout and then showed up like the. They signed him like the day before the first game, and then he went on and got like two sacks the first game. 
You know, speaking of key card, keys locked, etc., you had that weird exchange on uh, Instagram from Chandler Jones with the Raiders yesterday about being locked out of the gym. Well, today you have Raiders head coach Josh McDaniels meeting the media saying that Chandler Jones is not with the team today and calling it a private and personal matter. So I guess you do have some issues with some locks and things like that uh, going on in yeah. the NFL. Well, you know, Jones is kind of a, you know, not only, you know, kind of beats, uh, beats to the, you know, what is that, uh, uh, the drum. The fr- beats you know, to his own you know, drum. Yeah, I think he's got like a whole band, uh, not just a drum. So we learned when he was here, he just kind of, you know, does, and he talks to the media when he feels like it, at least when he was here at the end. He talked to the media occasionally. And you never really knew what he was going to say, which was kind of interesting, quite frankly. Uh, but uh, you know, not surprised. And unfortunately for the Raiders, Chandler Jones was a really huge disappointment last year. Uh, even in his best years with the Cardinals, you didn't know which week he was going to be the best player on the field. You didn't know the next week whether you were even going to notice he was on the field. It has been uh, topsy-turvy, I guess, for, for him oh. since he left New England inconsistent for sure i think it was even inconsistent when he was at new england uh, you tell me more than you can tell me about about, about that more than than i could but seems like he's been just kind of a, you have no idea where you're getting from game to game in his entire career in the nfl uh, one housekeeping item that we have to get to. Uh, last Friday marked the first Friday spread by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Once again, we're starting it for the college and NFL season where the $100 gift certificate winner has to give us the play for the weekend that we're all going to be rooting for unless it goes against our personal rooting interest, of course. But $5 <laughs> gets put on that bet and uh, we'll hopefully have some money at the end of the season to pass along to charity. And I have to say we got off to a fantastic start a 1-0 start uh, we were on Auburn minus 35 and a half over UMass and Auburn went on to win 59 to 14 to start the Hugh Freeze era so 1-0 in week one yeah well certainly a big upgrade from Brian Harson, but a dead man might be a better coach than Brian Harson, who I didn't like at Boise State. Couldn't believe he got hired at Auburn. Couldn't believe he stayed that long at Auburn before they got finally fired him. Uh, but, uh, you know, for you, Freeze and Auburn, they scored touchdowns in their first five possessions in that game on Saturday. We'll get into a little bit more about college football uh, later on in the program, but also as a reminder, calls today at 1030 and 1115, 602-260-1060. Let's get into a bit about the Arizona Cardinals. And, of course, if you missed the extensive conversation that Bob had with Howard Balzer of gophnx.com, you can podcast it over at kdos1060.com as well as with the KDOS 1060 app. But it was coordinator day yesterday for the Arizona Cardinals as they met the media. And, uh, of course, you know what we got things started with today is everyone wants to know who will be the starting quarterback against Washington uh, Washington Commanders and we just don't know yet so media getting a little strategic with how they were phrasing questions to offensive <laughs> coordinator Drew Petzing a couple of things that stood out to me here though um, you know he was specifically asked will he be divvying up the starting quarterback reps this week in practice I thought that was a clever little question there uh, but his answer here is we have a 
a plan in place in terms of how we want to handle that. Certainly, we aren't going to be completely forward with that in the media, but it's certainly something we've talked through and are prepared for, and I think everybody's ready to go. Uh, so based upon that, I think the team itself knows who's going to be starting week one. Yeah, true. I, you know, I didn't watch the video of that press conference. I heard some of the audio. I'm not sure if he had like a prepared statement in front of him, but that seems to be kind of the, uh, no matter who you talk to with the Cardinals, whether it be general manager, head coach, or assistant or offensive coordinator or any assistant, I'm sure that's the uh, stock answer at this point. I know the national media is certainly having some fun with uh, the, the, the Cardinals for not naming the quarterback here. So that's kind of been at least the national sentiment. Well, yeah, they're the only team that has a named starting quarterback for the first week. And so we'll see. Um, I mean, everybody seems to think it's Joshua Dobbs, though, including Howard Balzer, who we talked to in the last hour. So, you know, just uh, he, he would seem to be you know, the choice. I don't think you trade for him. And then, uh, you know, I think that you know, now I think the writing was on the wall when they traded for him that McCoy would be out of here. And I completely misread that situation for a few months. But after talking with Howard, I don't feel as bad because he was also surprised McCoy was cut. Uh, a couple of other things that caught my attention here with Drew Petzing meeting the media, again, trying to get some insight into the quarterback situation. What are the hurdles that Josh Dobbs faces this week is the question. Uh, Petzing's answer, Josh is a really smart player, comes in and works really hard to understand the offense and know his role. I think it's just some of the nuances you've tweaked and changed over the course of the offseason and training camp, familiarity with some of his teammates and just getting a feel for how they see things, how they come out of the top of their routes what they are thinking in the run game those are the type of things we work through and he's done a great job of embracing that certainly that to me is the number one thing that it's not necessarily the playbook sounds like he can certainly understand that there is quote unquote that familiarity from their time together in Cleveland but it's just understanding those little things that everyone talks about is so important and crucial for why training camp is needed yeah, plus he's like a genius IQ wise. I totally agree with you. I think that the, uh, you know, the, the being familiar with their wide receivers and tight end and running backs and just life in general. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that he doesn't even know all the names of the guys on the team yet. And uh, uh, I mean, there's you know, 53 guys plus practice squad, etc. But he hasn't been around enough to even know who these guys are, let alone know what their tendencies are as a receiver or whatever else they're doing. Absolutely here. Uh, a couple of other things, and I know that Howard touched on this a little bit when you asked about Clayton Toon, and the question was posed to Petzing yesterday as well, finding out some insight into Clayton Toon about being so even-keeled in the huddle. Uh, Petzing's answer was, I think it's critical, and honestly critical at all positions. If you're going to be one of those guys that rides the emotional roller coaster during a game, it's going to be really hard in the heat of the battle to lower your nerves and carry out your responsibilities, communicate effectively. So that's something we look for and not just at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's I wish, you know, I don't think I've exactly uh, in my you know, professional and personal life executed that you know, myself, but I think that's the best way to try to go about things. 
Uh, yeah, I will say that that is definitely something that I worked on, uh, you know, in in college as well, just trying to understand that optimal mindset of, you know, not being overwhelmed, but also embracing uh, the, the nerves and the passion that you have for what you're doing. So it's all kind of trying to bridge it together to optimally perform. Uh, the other yeah, I, li- I like that word passion. I'm going to stick with that one. I, you know, lose my mind. That's because I'm passionate about losing my mind. Uh-oh, I've given you semantics to play with. Um, All right. Uh, the other thing here for Drew Petzing, two things here of note, just how he particularly likes to operate. We knew in preseason that he was going to try to be on the sideline. He was going to go upstairs, see what worked for him. So what is the ultimate plan for game day week one? He's going to be on the sideline, according to what he said in yesterday's press conference. And the other thing here is just what's his philosophy on scripting the first 15 plays or so of the game. And his answer here, uh, pretty extensive. I think there's a balance there i think you always have an idea of how you think the flow of the game is going to go and certain things you want to come up early or certain plays that you want to use in certain ways but i think there is also an element to understanding the flow of the game the players you have you know those first one or two plays maybe come off the sheet but after that the situation is going to dictate a lot of what's going on totally agree with that i'm kind of don't know where I stand on this first 15 game scripted thing that was you know Bill Walsh was the first time I remember ever hearing about this and anybody doing it uh, at least to you know start the game etc and uh, obviously it worked out for him also helped when you have Joe Montana as your quarterback during those years probably didn't matter whether you scripted them or not (laughs) it was going to work out okay Uh, but that seems to be a popular way to go about things but I think especially in the first game, and especially against a team that, you know, the first team defense of Washington has played, what, maybe 15 snaps the entire preseason? Probably, I probably have the under 15 snaps from what I've read. Uh, So I'm not sure that, uh, you know, they're changing a lot on offense, obviously. It seems like uh, with, you know, Del Rio, I think it's still going to be the same defense and, you know, at least the uh, scheme-wise and so forth, but... You know, what happens if they come out and have like a different look right off the bat? What happens to those 15 plays? No, that makes complete sense. Um, you know, it's probably probably something of a I don't want to say like a security blanket because that's not really what I mean but it just a level of preparedness to be able to go into a situation kind of feeling like you're in control you have the game plan help settle some of the nerves that you might have just because it is game day particularly in this situation getting his first opportunity to be the offensive coordinator for the first time yeah, I'll say one other quick thing. There's lots of times where the first 15 plays of the first drive was worked out really well, but the rest of the game, it seems, kind of goes to hell because you don't have the prepared you know, statement type of thing as far as the play sheet goes. Yes, I've definitely watched plenty of games where you think, wow, they just marched down the field, tore right. up that defense, yeah. and then they can't move the ball the rest of the game. It's And I'm not just saying the Cardinals. That's any team I've watched. We'll get into more regarding the Arizona Cardinals, though, on the other side of the break. It's the Extra Point. Have you downloaded the KTUS 1060 app yet? Download today and get all of your favorite local and national shows right on your phone. on K-2-S 
KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Vince Lombardi Cancer Foundation is excited to take its 50-plus year history of -of one-of-a-kind charitable golf outings and events to Scottsdale, Arizona for year two of the Lombardi Southwest Open. It's all taking place Saturday, September 16th at Talking Stick Resort. For more information, visit LombardiFoundation.org slash Lombardi dash Southwest dash open. That's LombardiFoundation.org slash Lombardi dash Southwest dash open. Continuing with the Arizona Cardinals discussion here, a couple of other things caught my attention with the rest of the coordinators meeting the media yesterday. Jeff Rogers, uh, special teams coordinator and very highly regarded special teams coordinator. Uh, He has managed to remain in his role with now a couple of different coaching staffs coming through here with Arizona. But some interesting comments from him about the new kickoff rules that are set to take place in the NFL this season. The things that caught my attention from what he said about that is uh, I don't think early on in the season it will play a major factor. There are some situational things that are going to come up in which you're going to see the fair catch. Early in the season, I think most teams are going to let their guys compete Pete, and if you uh, show to be a little bit deficient in some areas, that may be an option. He also then goes on to say, I think it'll be after the first quarter of the season until teams reveal themselves of whatever their philosophy will be. Yeah, I've actually heard this uh, discussed uh, uh, some shows, podcasts in the last you know, couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've, that seems to be a constant here, one thing that the fair catch thing, if you're a team that's protecting a lead late in the game and, you know, it's not an onside kick situation, so it's a kick down the field, you might have a fair catch then. Um, you know, not, not to just put yourself in danger of you know, having a, you know, returner get walloped by a big hit or just just try to reduce the chance of an error and a fumble, et cetera, a penalty to put you even deeper in in, in your own territory. So I think that that's something to consider at the end of games. Uh, The other thing that Jeff Rogers mentioned here, too, that, you know, if you're a a team that your philosophy is kind of built on having a kicker who has a really strong leg, who's booming it out of the back of the end zone for touchbacks most often, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see then, as he mentioned, the first quarter of the season, that they're likely going to stick with that strategy. But how might Mm -hmm. it change as you get in the latter portion of the season when if you're not in a dome type setting and weather elements start to come into play, do you change your strategy then as it gets harder uh to, to kick the ball i think that's a really good point plus also i just uh, there are some teams uh you know belichick comes to mind i think he's been doing this for a long time kayla you know either agree or disagree here but it seems like they've been trying to you know not necessarily pooch kick but at least you know try to you know kind of cough, cough and corner your kickoff to get the opposition in an adverse position to return a kick Yes, he's definitely been doing that. I, I was, he was actually one of the people that first came to mind because it seems like he tries to always get an advantage or, you know, when they were on such a high winning winning streak here, those little nuances of how they were going to take advantage yeah. of scoring at the end of halves and then getting the ball in the third the third quarter to start so taking advantage of those possession things little things uh, with field position etc that how that would change his particular philosophy because he does gain such an advantage of it often to win games how some of these new rules will either 
change or hurt that philosophy. Yeah, I don't think there's been a better coach in the history of football that is better at you know flipping games because of special teams and field position more than I can think of than Belichick. Uh, Nick Rollis, defensive coordinator for the Arizona Cardinals. He's the last coordinator to have met the media yesterday. So some of the things that stuck out to me, uh, he too was also making the decision whether he was going to be calling the game from the field or up in the booth. He has decided he will be calling the game from the field. Uh, He was also asked if Jonathan Gannon lets him go with the play calling, and he said that he does, that Rollis will sometimes click over to Gannon and ask if he's seeing kind of the same thing in certain situations and so that there's pretty good dialogue that he can kind of get confirmation on certain certain looks that they're seeing and therefore then the package combination that they will implore yeah i'm sure there's exceptions to what i'm going to say next here but i just don't see the advantage of any coordinator ever being in the booth um you don't have a one-on-one conversation with a player face to face if you're in the booth You've got maybe some, you know, after an exchange of, you know, punts or whatever, depending on you know, no matter which side of the ball you're on, I, I think that you would want to, you know, that there's some players that want to ask you something or you want to talk to them about something. You can't pass the set, headset around to, you know, five guys during, a, you know, before you get the ball back or before you're back on the field defensively. I just never quite understood. I don't think there are a whole lot of coordinators that have been highly successful. Uh, I think the most, let's rephrase that. I think that most of the coordinators that have been successful over the years, I think the most of them have been on the field. I may be barking up the wrong tree here because if you're in the stadium, you can kind of get a sense of of feel for how the game is going. Um, But do you think maybe being actually on the field, you can kind of sense momentum shifting in a certain direction or kind of just get a better sense? You're like right there that this is the play call we need to kind of flip momentum, flip field position. You just feel a little bit more attached to the action that's going on. Yeah, I think that's certainly a possibility, even though you know, we've seen enough of these you know, booths with the, head, with the assistant coaches over the years. Uh, you know, these guys are like, you know, they're into the game. <laughs> I've, Ken you know, Dorsey seen guys, comes to mind. There you go. And I, you know, I've seen guys you know, punch like the, you know, the you know, glass in front of them or the plexiglass in front of them. And so they're, they're in the game. So I don't know if that is a big a factor as some other things, but I just think – being on the field for just the personal conversations with your players, to me, would be, I think, you know, really relevant. The next up uh, on the list of things that caught my attention from defensive coordinator Nick Rollis here, he was asked about uh, who the starting corners are going to be, and he said, yeah, we're still every week. That kind of stuff can be adjustable. We're working through that internally here still. Then he was asked also about Keetrell Clark. Uh, He says he's feisty in there, but I think also his skill set is of a good cover corner. He can run. That's critical for a corner. you got to be able to deny the ball stay on top of routes I think he can do that I don't even think this is an issue is yeah you know I don't know how it can't be you know Wilson and Clark and that's in part because maybe I'm just looking at this you know Matthew thing is totally incorrect in my opinion but he wasn't any good last year and uh, you know the one training camp practice we went to he was atrocious that particular day and got burned 
you know, whatever Cardinals offensive plays in that one training camp practice that we attended uh, seem to be exploiting Matthew. And then, you know, a couple of the preseason games when he's been out there, he's either had tackling issues or coverage issues. I just don't think he's a very good player. Pass rushers, that's the other interesting element here of this Cardinals defense. And Nick Rollis was asked about that, and he says, yeah, it's something we are still working through. Excited to every week kind of fit the pieces to the puzzle and what we think is best to do in terms of pass rush. I'm excited for guys to go out there on Sundays and take their games to the next level and hopefully prove themselves and be well-respected amongst the NFL. But it certainly sounds like whoever maybe starts week one isn't necessarily starting week two, that it's going to be kind of of a matchup type thing yeah i would be pleasantly surprised if this weren't an issue in like week 17 uh i think this is gonna i just don't think they have pass rushers i think that's the week you know, i think they've got a, this is a team with several weaknesses i think that getting to the quarterback uh my guess is that's going to be the biggest weakness of this team offense or defense 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll take your calls now, talk to you on the other side of the break. We'll also get into uh, a little bit about college football. Bob, you had a chance to kind of react yesterday about college football. I didn't. So let's go through some of the AP Top 25 and how teams have moved along and things that caught my attention, your attention from the week number one of college football slate. So we'll do that next in addition to your calls. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Powered by Superbook Sports on this Wednesday, September 6th. Check out the Doug Gottlieb Show, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports in the extra point. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. 602-260-1060. A look at the weekend that was in college football. The new AP Top 25 has been released. The first two squads, no change here with number one being Georgia. They beat uh, Tennessee Martin. 48 to 7 and Michigan beating East Carolina 30 to 3 without Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, uh, a couple things, you know, start with Georgia Carson Beck his first start of any game in 4 years. Uh you know, almost 300 yards passing. They started slowly and you know, obviously didn't have much of a problem, you know, vanquish, vanquishing their uh, inferior opponent. The thing that surprised me about Michigan, and I didn't watch this game because it was on Peacock, uh, but unfortunately many Big Ten games are going to be on Peacock that I won't be watching this year. But anyway, they only had 122 yards rushing against East Carolina, and this is what's considered by some to be the best offensive line in the country and without question two of the best running backs in the country. And only 122 yards rushing against East Carolina. I watched the Big Ten Network wrap-up show on Saturday night. 
which I do every Saturday during the college football season. And they mentioned the fact that they just had problems controlling the line of scrimmage in the early part of that game against East Carolina. You know, we're not going to get a better idea about Michigan for a while because their first three games are against really bad opponents. Uh, but that that definitely stood out to me. Uh, then you also have number three here, Alabama beating Middle, t- middle Tennessee 56-7, to and they moved up one spot. It's interesting because I saw two very differing opinions about Jalen Milrow. So, one, uh, oh, my gosh, Nick Saban has found his, his quarterback here. This is, this is great. Then the next sentiment that I've seen is, well, once he plays against Texas and Texas's defense is allowed to take away his first read, that's when the problems are going to start. That might be true, but both those things might be true. I'll even you know, Saban actually said after the game uh, that Milrow did a good job, quote unquote, and he's not exactly one uh, being Mr. Saban that's you know, you know, going to give a lot of praise unless he means it. Uh, he did have three touchdowns uh, running and two touchdowns passing. I watched almost none of this game because it was Alabama against Middle Tennessee. And anybody thinks they're going to learn anything about uh, this week's game against Texas by watching that game is wasting their time. So I opted not to waste my time. I did watch the highlights of the game. And uh, the SEC Network, like, spent no time on this game in their wrap-up show because there were other games that they were more interested in because they were smart and realized that we're not going to really learn anything about Alabama against Middle Tennessee. Florida State now number four as they beat LSU 45-24. to They moved up four spots. Uh, when it mattered, FSU held LSU scoreless in the second half. What impressed you most about FSU? The second half? <laughs> they scored 31 straight points. Uh, they were down at halftime 17-14. That could, they could have been down by more at halftime. LSU had two drives inside the 10-yard line, which stalled. Uh, in fact, they got no points on one of those drives. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is a group that is now, uh, there's expectations about Florida State for the first time in a really long time. Uh, to me, they were by far the most impressive team of the weekend. Uh, and to me, also, they have, yeah, they have star power at key positions. Obviously, Jordan Travis, uh, Michigan State transfer, uh, yeah, Keon Coleman, he was, uh, was great. a star receiver. Yeah. Uh, we saw him a little bit at Michigan State. And actually, he didn't transfer out of Michigan State until after the Michigan State spring game. So he was kind of a, you know, a late transfer. In fact, uh, didn't even make some of the preseason magazines, at least one of them, the one that I have to my right here. Uh, he wasn't even in that because it was such a late transfer at that point. But, you know, they get 31 in a row in the second half. Uh, they've now got seven consecutive wins going back to last season. They've scored 30 or more points in every game over that stretch. And uh, this is a group that lived up to the expectations. And uh, they were really, really impressive to me uh, that second half. And you know, I, I maybe even impressive that they just kind of hung in there in the first half when things weren't going well. And then once things started rolling, it was they really started rolling for them in the second half of that game. 
So LSU ended up moving down nine spots to number 14 here. And a couple of things stood out to me in regards to LSU, but I want to get this one off my chest and you tell me if I'm barking up a wrong tree here. I just couldn't understand why Harold Perkins Jr. was not rushing the passer. He was, uh, you know, seven and a half sacks last year when he moved into that role. He was very, very good last year at it. And he was basically playing middle linebacker, dropping into coverage sometimes and so far off the line of scrimmage, I feel like not doing what he does well. I don't disagree with that. Also, I thought his uh, play last year was helped a lot because Ojolari, who is with the Cardinals now, was on the other side. So he had to block two pass rushers for LSU a year ago. So we'll see what's up with that. And even with those two guys, they only had 29 sacks in 14 games last season. Uh, which I, I didn't realize until the broadcast on Saturday, uh, Sunday, what night was that? Sunday night uh, when they pointed that out. Uh, I thought they had much a much better pass rush than they did a year ago, even with those two guys. Number five here, Ohio State. They beat Indiana to, uh, 23-3. to They dropped two spots here. Uh, what did you see? Did you see enough from McCord for him to keep the spot as quarterback number one? Yeah, I actually thought he did okay um, when he had time to throw. They got an offensive tackle problem. They don't have any, uh, at least based on the first game. You know, we talked last week about Ohio State. Uh, the, their offensive line, I thought, was very suspect. You know, they lost both their tackles and their starting center. Uh, and they didn't expect all three of those guys to enter the NFL draft at the end of last year. And uh, they're shorthanded. They had to go out in the transfer portal and get offensive linemen who were playing for them. Their offensive line was bad. They couldn't convert short yardage. They didn't pass protect well. But actually, I think that McCord was actually the least of their problems in this game. When he had a chance to throw, he made some really good throws and accurate passes. One was a touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr., who unfortunately stepped out of bounds and it didn't count. Uh, the other one was a, a you know, the other one that really stands out is a place pass down the middle in the seam to Stover, their excellent tight end. So I'm okay with McCord and uh, you know the, Brian, Ryan Day. I don't even think he got uh, I don't even think he was asked about it yesterday. He just mentioned immediately that McCord's still going to be the starter and that uh, once again Devin Brown's going to get some time. Brown was out there a little bit and they only had ten position possessions in this game because. I think Indiana was uh, you know, trying to keep the game close. Uh, I don't know if uh, you know, you know, Tom Allen is, once again, a terrible coach game-wise. Game day, it gave away, just gave away, flat gave away three points in the first half of this game, which was still a close game. But it was so limited as far as possessions go that uh, you know, they really didn't get to do much of a quarterback rotation, and the game was closer than I'm sure Ohio State thought it was going to be also. We'll get into 6 through 10 on the other side of the break and some of the bigger movers. We already mentioned LSU dropping nine spots, but a couple of other uh, squads that moved up and down on the AP Top 25. So we'll do that as we wrap up our number one of this Wednesday, September 6th edition of Extra Point. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS AM 1060, uh, uh, as well as KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Wrapping up our number one next. Morning drive. 
just got a little better. The Dan Patrick Show is live weekday morning starting at 6 exclusively on KDUS AM 1060. KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Wrapping up our number one right here on KDOS AM 1060 uh, with Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays up until noon. Continuing our look into the AP Top 25 as things have moved around since week number one concluded in college football. And we'll continue on with number six here with USC. They've actually played two games already they had a week zero competition uh in week one they beat nevada 66 to 14 and i guess it just kind of ends up becoming uh continued highlight reel after highlight reel for caleb williams yeah nevada's really bad i mean they were one of the worst teams in fbs last year i'm guessing they're going to be one of the worst teams again this year so i don't think we got much out of this yeah maybe if we're looking at USC, we can look more at the San Jose State game. Same people, seem, uh, including me, some people thought they were you know, maybe impressed by San Jose that first game. Well, then since then, we've watched San Jose State just completely dominated by my Oregon State Beavers in game number two. So maybe that first game with uh, San Jose scoring 28 points was against uh, USC. Maybe that's uh, even more of an alarm bell for the USC defense not really being that much better. Uh, number seven here on this list is Penn State beat West Virginia 38-15. to Are you all in on Drew Aller? Uh, I like him. I mean, he certainly looked good. He's a very strong arm. Some accuracy issues even in that game on Saturday night. You know, they kind of you know scored some late points in that game. Uh, you know, that was a close game in the second half, at least the early part of the second half. So we'll see. I don't think there's any question this is James Franklin's most talented team. Uh, some are claiming that this is the best team in the Big Ten. I think that's kind of jumping the gun uh, before he has a chance to get out coached by Harbaugh and Ryan Day, which seems to happen on a regular basis. Yeah, this is the year that Penn State has to make that leap into that conversation, right? Yeah, uh, you would think so. Um, you know, Aller is certainly an upgraded quarterback. You know, Clifford was there forever, and he did a lot of really good things. He could run the offense and you know, was a leader and all those things. You like to hear you know, coaches like to say, at least uh, you know, when they're trying to defend, the, why, why is the guy that's behind the starter you know, more talented than your starter? That was kind of the answer for last year, at least. But, you know, he's... Got a lot of talent. You've got what they've got weapons. There's no doubt about that. Uh, West Virginia is really bad though, and you know they're they're uh, uh, if not the worst team in the Big Twelve, they got to be pretty close to the worst team in that conference. Huh. Uh, the Big Twelve didn't have a great great uh, no. opening weekend. <laughs> no, yeah, it's uh, yeah Baylor gets maybe a little bit of a flyer because their quarterback got hurt early in that game and he's going to be out for a while by the way uh so uh just uh, maybe just your opinion of uh, uh baylor you know, shapen got hurt very early in that game they lost to north texas or they lost to texas state excuse me got my texas schools mixed up there and texas state had never beaten a power five opponent 
until they beat Baylor on Saturday. Number eight, Washington. They beat Boise State 56-19, to and they moved up two spots. Obviously, this is running it back with Kalen DeBoer and uh, Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, I think that uh, I said this last year about Penix, uh, that he's the best deep thrower in college football. Uh, I know that you, know, you can back that up. Uh, I test statistically. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he was the number one uh, passer in college football last year in yards per attempt. Uh, but, you know, they had a bunch of big plays. They had 12 plays of 20-plus yards, and you know, a lot of those were downfield throws. Some of them were also short throws, and the receivers who were really good ran after the catch. Uh, I'm still not buying. I'm glad that Washington's getting all this hype because at some strategical point, they have a much more difficult schedule, by the way, this year than they did last year. I'm going to be looking to play against them at some point when I think the hype has just gotten out of hand and there's a nice point spread. Plus, you know, I'm going to get plus points with a team that I think has a chance to beat them. Then you have uh, number nine, Tennessee. They beat Virginia 49 to 13, moved up three spots. For me, you know, there's still questions here about, you know, replacing a lot on the offensive side of the ball and then can that defense improve? Yeah, we're not going to find out anything about this game. Virginia is a candidate to be the worst Power 5 team in college football, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, Milton is another guy that really throws a nice deep ball. Uh, so I know that uh, you know, some of the people that watch this game much closer than I did talked about his touch on the deep ball. Uh, they talked about that in the SEC Network on Saturday night. Uh, so I'm going to take their word for it because I watched, like, you know, the, just the highlight package uh, on the SEC network of this game. I didn't watch any of this game live. Uh, and then finally here, rounding out the top ten, you have Notre Dame. They beat Tennessee State. They also are one of the teams that played week zero and week one. Beat Tennessee State 56-3, to and they moved up three spots. Yeah, Stan Hartman makes a big difference at quarterback. He's just kind of the definition of efficiency. As a quarterback, he's also been a starter in college football now for six seasons. So you would hope that uh, his experience and efficiency would combine into being good. He's also under center now, and that's apparently one of the big reasons he went to Notre Dame because they promised he would be under center, and that uh, gives him maybe a better idea or gets the NFL a better idea of you know, his true worth as a college quarterback heading into the NFL. Hour number two of Extra Point is coming up on the other side of the break. We'll dive into the Arizona Diamondbacks, what's going on around the wild card races, and your phone calls as well, 602-260-1060, around 1115. Still happening here on KDOS AM 1060.